0: Hello and welcome back. This is part two of what is contemplation and we ended last time about talking about what contemplation is not. Now today as we move a little forward here I would like to talk about contemplation as distinguished from vocal prayer and meditation. So what is vocal prayer? It is essentially the way the East describes it as the prayer of the lips. Right? Vocal prayer is, is obviously prayer that involves words, either from our own hearts, right? maybe the words of the saints or, 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 or other holy people. And why is this important? This is extremely important because God has spoken to us. Right? God has spoken to us in His Son. And so we, in turn, need to speak back to him. So no matter how holy a person becomes, even if a person experiences the the deepest depths of contemplation, vocal prayer is always going to have a place in their life. Simply because there's always the need to say, I love you. That's essentially what vocal prayer is doing. Right? The Catechism says that by words, mental or vocal, our prayer takes flesh. Right? Words reveal or they point to our interior state and to the way we might be feeling or thinking. They lead us into our heart eventually. They pull us out of the level of abstraction into reality. Right, I think I can sort of see this in a parallel way through uh, spiritual direction, right? Spiritual direction is effective because it forces people to consider and to articulate what is happening in their relationship with God. Now, sometimes we're not, when we speak about it, obviously it's not infallible. We might not always be perfectly um, correct in our evaluation But having to consider and then articulate what we believe is happening in our relationship with God is extremely important. It takes us out of the level of abstraction into reality. And this is why I'm such a huge advocate of what I call, and I merely just call this, the process of of spiritual direction. And I I see this with the many people who I'm uh, I'm blessed to be a spiritual director for. They know that when they are coming to me for spiritual direction, We're not just coming to, you know, have tea and talk about the weather. But I'm going to be asking them, what are things like in your relationship with God in this past month or since the last time we talked? What is your prayer life like? What do you perceive to be happening? And it's by expressing these things that we can begin to see more clearly. Right? And sometimes... One of the best things we can do, particularly when we're feeling overwhelmed or life just seems to be going out of control, is just merely to stop and say a simple prayer like the Our Father or the Hail Mary. A vocal prayer like that, any vocal prayer, can help to reorient me, can help to remind me, put me back consciously into the presence of God. And so. This is why the Catechism says once again, the need to involve our senses in interior prayer corresponds to a requirement of our human nature. We are body and spirit and we experience the need to translate our feelings externally. So this is essentially what I've been saying, right? There is a need for us to express our frustrations, our desires, our temptations, our hopes, Right, this is essentially what we see in the psalms. Right? The psalms is oftentimes referred to as by the church as really a handbook of prayer, the school of prayer. Because it's in the Psalms where the the author of the Psalms, all of these very human realities are being expressed to God. Right? So this is this is why the Psalms are in many ways are our model of prayer. It teaches us. In a sense, how to be real, how to be human before God. And the Catechism says as well that even interior prayer cannot neglect vocal prayer. Thus, vocal prayer becomes an initial form of contemplative prayer. Until we are deeply established in contemplation, vocal prayer generally precedes it, comes first. We'll talk more about this later. Meditation. What is meditation? Meditation, again, the Eastern Church is the prayer of the mind, right? In meditation, we are pondering, reflecting on with our own mind, with our own heart, the things of God, right? What God has revealed to us, either in His Word or through the church and the various teachings of the church, or even through uh, nature, right, or through science. One can almost ponder God by pondering science. And so this is uh, extremely important as well, right? The Catechism says the mind seeks to understand the why and how of Christian life in order to adhere and respond to what the Lord is asking. So meditation is attempting to understand who God is through what he has revealed. Despite what we might sometimes think, or despite what other people might say, God has revealed a lot about himself. Now, we're never going to exhaust God completely, but God has revealed a lot to us. Right? We could spend an entire lifetime pondering the gospel of John, or any, any gospel, and really only scratch the surface so there is no there's no shortage uh, in some sense of material god has revealed himself and we are called to use our minds to reflect on what god has uh, revealed to us the catechism again says that to meditate on what we read helps us to make it our own by confronting it with ourselves so to meditate on the things of God, we also learn about ourselves. Right? I, I see this all the time, especially this is the, one of the graces of, of a directed retreat, and for me as a, as a director. You know, Certain passages in scripture or certain experiences will, will bring up something in a person. Maybe a fear or a, a memory of, a, of sin or an insecurity or a temptation, or or a moment of of grace, or or a memory of God's love. And so when we meditate on the things of God, we also learn about ourselves, right? Why? Because light illuminates, right? This is what light does. When we come into light, when we come into God's revelation, it's going to illuminate who God is and also who we are. And that illumination of who we are is not, of course, to make us feel bad, but it's meant, in a very real way, to put us in place, to remind us that we are always creature, never creator. Okay. The Catechism says that meditation engages thought, imagination, emotion, and desire. This is necessary to deepen our convictions of faith, prompt the conversion of our heart, and strengthen our will to follow Christ." You know, in short, meditation evangelizes our whole being, our mind, our heart, and our will. So when we take time to meditate, we are, in a very real way, evangelizing ourselves. So that is vocal prayer and meditation. Now. What is contemplation? Contemplation is in a very real way its own world. It looks nothing like vocal prayer and meditation. If vocal prayer and meditation are streams or a river, then contemplation is the ocean. Sometimes I'll use the image if I'm if I'm working with someone who is particularly being led towards contemplation, that <clears throat> vocal prayer and meditation and even contemplation are like one island. And as one begins to experience contemplation, it's almost like that a piece of that island now breaks off from the, from the land and, and begins to go out into sea. So there is this real uh, difference. In, in the prayer, in the orientation of contemplation and vocal prayer and meditation. Contemplation is this, is this breaking off from shore and going out into the unknown, into the ocean, which I always believe is a great metaphor uh, for God. So, what is contemplation? Here is a simple definition. Contemplation is a silent, imageless, and non-conceptual encounter or experience with God. Okay, let's break that down bit by bit. So silent. In contemplation, there are little or no words. The catechism says that speaking of contemplative prayer it says words in this kind of prayer are not speeches they are like kindling that feeds the fire of love that's paragraph 2717 in the catechism so in contemplation there is not this long drawn out discourse there are little to no words. The words that are used are like kindling that feeds the fire that is already burning. To put to use too many words or to even start reading during the time of contemplation is, is would be like putting a, a wet towel on the fire. It, it sort of puts it out. This is why or this is how a, a spiritual director can be extremely extremely important in this stage if someone is beginning to experience contemplation more on that later second is contemplative prayer is imageless so no images so we're not intentionally conjuring up an image of of jesus or um, an image of of god the father I mean, of course, someone might be praying before an image, maybe sitting before an icon, but real contemplation takes us beyond the image. You know, it's interesting, in in the Carthusian monasteries, and the Carthusians are by far the most contemplative, at least in their orientation of life, religious order in the church. And inside of their monasteries, there are almost no images now obviously there's always a crucifix and maybe an image of mary but there are very very few statues very very few images now why is that is because those things are bad well of course not of course not but in contemplation which what they are geared towards they are sort of moving beyond the image so, in contemplation, there is generally little to no words, it is imageless, and it is non-conceptual. Meaning, during contemplation, one is not thinking necessarily of God. One is not pondering a truth about God. Now, a thought could be a diving board into contemplation, particularly in, in the stages of Lectio. Lectio Divina, right? It starts with reading the text, and then reflecting on the text, and then praying with the text, and then that sort of bleeds into contemplation. But in, in genuine contemplation here, we're not deliberately thinking of God. Or ourselves, to be honest with you. We're not, we're not thinking about anything in particular, but With that being said, nor are we trying, we're not repressing our brains. We're not trying not to think of something. There is this sort of stillness in the mind, and there is this awareness of the presence of God, which again, is silent, imageless, and non-conceptual. Now, you may ask, if there are no words, no ideas, or no images, What is left? The answer is simply God. (laughs) Right? God who cannot be contained fully and completely in any words, ideas, or images. The cloud of unknowing reminds us it says, a man may know completely and ponder thoroughly every created thing and its works, and God's works too, but not God himself. Yes, we can and should ponder the things of God, ponder God himself, but we can never fully grasp him completely in this life. Now, does that mean that we should give up theology, that we should give up scripture study? Of course not. Those things are very good, but they are limited. Right? St. Thomas Aquinas, a profound theologian who wrote volumes and volumes and volumes of theology towards the end of his life after he has this really deep mystical experience of God after that experience he says everything I have written is straw. Now that's not true right because if it was straw we wouldn't be reading and consuming it for the past uh, 800 years or so. But he was straw compared to what he saw. And many people would argue that St. Thomas Aquinas is the greatest theologian ever. And so on one level, that's true. He, He pointed to us towards God and he tells us a lot about God. But when Thomas Aquinas has this mystical encounter with God, everything he writes, he says, is straw compared to what he saw. And he never wrote again after that moment. So in a very real way, what this does is it puts us in our place. It puts our minds, our ideas, our words in their place. Of course, they're important, but they're limited. So let's let's try to define, let's close here by defining contemplation. St. John of the Cross says, contemplation is nothing else than a secret and peaceful, loving inflow of God. A secret and peaceful, loving inflow of God. Another definition, contemplation is a silent, imageless, and loving communion with God himself, which transcends all discursiveness. St. Gregory of Nyssa says contemplation is resting in God. One of my my, uh, favorite definitions. Contemplation is resting in God. It's like John the Beloved, resting at the heart of Christ. There's not a lot of activity in our intellect. We're not trying to figure everything out. We're not trying to figure out God. We're not trying to figure out my own life. But it's this simple resting in God. Father Thomas Dubé, in his book, The Fire Within, he says contemplation is nothing less than a deep love communion with the Triune God. It is a word, wordless awareness and love that we, that we of ourselves cannot initiate or prolong. So, in all of these definitions, there are some very common attributes. Right? Contemplation is total gift. We cannot sustain it. We cannot initiate it. It is silent. It is imageless. And it's non-conceptual. But most importantly, too, it is love. It is love, I would argue, in its fullest expression. And again, I think it, the best image of that is, is John Resting. At the heart of Jesus. Thank you.